0: The OSS Cubed is back with over $14 million in guaranteed prize pools from September 24th to October 22nd. This massive tournament series features three $1 million guaranteed tournaments. The first takes place on October 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, featuring a half-price buy-in of just $265. Just one week later, on October 22nd, we'll have two million-dollar tourneys the same day. One with a $540 buy-in and the boss main event with a $2,100 buy-in. AmericasCardRoom.com
1: Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 150. Sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com If you want to get 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com Then all you have to do is sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOuter.com website Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com And join the Facebook group Facebook.com groups OneOuter This episode and all other previous episodes are available from the OneOuter.com website And also via iTunes for free if you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com, or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 150, party poppers, firecrackers, etc. all going off. How are you?
2: I'm good. Uh, what do they call that? The senquential or something? It's really funny because Kearney, New Jersey is having their 150th year anniversary and i just learned that word no less than 12 minutes ago and i've of course have felt it, have uh, forgotten it by now mm-hmm. uh i'm doing good how are you doing yeah I'm,
1: I'm doing good i'm doing good i've been playing
2: more poker again so um
1: that's nice yeah i sent uh, alex a clip from the godfather saying uh, just when i thought i was out they pulled, <laughs> pulled me back in <laughs> you
2: know so, yes, did. yeah
1: i've been enjoying it I had a Decent uh, deep run in the Sunday Million. I thought it was my night. It wasn't. But um, yeah, no, and I enjoyed. I played the live tournament. I made the day two. Finished eight off the money or something. Happy with the way I played. Couldn't have done anything differently in the hand that I went out or whatever. Or the preceding hand before that was standard ace king against kings. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, en- enjoying playing again without the pressure of invest in my whole being into each hand.
2: Yeah, that's always nice. Yeah. That's, uh, that's always good. Yeah, yeah.
1: How are you doing? Have you been playing much?
2: Nah, I've actually, I've been frustrated by how little I've been playing. I've, I'm booked solid, which is good because I need the money, mm-hmm. but and I also just enjoy the work a lot more now. I finally went ahead and I don't want to say finally. I've done this before. But I decided to write some new lesson plans for my lessons, and that's been really nice as far as making my lessons more fluid, making them more enjoyable for both myself and the student, and making sure the student gets more concepts in less time. So that that was pretty rewarding. Um, So that's been nice to be doing, but I haven't been able to that much it's been pretty crazy since I moved just every week there's a number of things that have to get done and there's just not enough time to do it you know it's funny when you don't have a girlfriend you seem to have a lot more free time I've noticed it's uh those Saturdays and Sundays are pretty those are weekends I didn't know that I thought you just worked with more sports on, on Saturdays and Sundays, I didn't, and when I have to, the funny thing is, when you have to get things done between Monday and Friday, they will get done, they're just going to get done at a more frenzied pace, and it's been a little bit more difficult finding time to play, though, during all of that. Mm.
1: And is that because you're lady friend does she work monday friday so you see her more at the weekends
2: yeah i i guess we've just been picking weekends uh a, a, a little bit more <laughs> lady friend makes me sound like my creepy 65 year old guy <laughs> walking around <laughs> central park hey if the well, shit I, do, <laughs> I do have the standard maltese right <laughs> yeah but, uh, walking around with my maltese like ah, oh, you want to get a cup of coffee yeah. your velour cracks you know? it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think you're missing the I think it's a tweed jacket. He always tries to play off his age as something dignified, mm-hmm. not like he's thrice divorced. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to go grab my pipe and slippers and tweed jacket and talk about my lady friend while I walk up and down Central Park. Uh, no, I'm on Saturday and Sunday, there's more fun stuff to do and we can hang out with our friends that work Monday Friday now she uh, she's working now she's she's a kickboxing instructor. She did all she did that for years now she's got the official gig and I think she you know just picks up shifts whenever but yeah, we do try to get together on the weekends. Okay um alex we've had lots of good feedback in
1: on the last few episodes people saying that you've really ramped it up or um hit a hit home with a lot of stuff or words to the similar effect from a few people on twitter and emails in um what's the sudden i don't know how to put it sudden impetus in your yeah, in your last uh performances on the one dot com podcast
2: I've been, I've hired a personal trainer and that has been fixing a lot of things, I think. I, it was, it was through one of, uh, one of my students as a son who, uh, lives on Long Island and, uh, she said, you know, he's a really good trainer. He'll give you a deal on a number of, uh, a, a number of, uh, training sessions, I was going to say lessons, that didn't sound right. And I made myself go do it because, uh, well, I just, I I felt like it was time. I could feel myself getting older. I'm coming up on 30, and while it's not, I still feel really young, I could feel myself getting a little weaker. Mm -hmm. I, I could feel myself having to exert more effort. On things that used to be a little bit more easy. Uh, I could feel when I used to go for a run, oh, I would just pound the pavement uh, seven minute, eight minute miles, six, eight, ten miles at a time. Now I'm running four and a lot of times five miles, ten minute miles. And I just could feel myself slowing down and then it occurred to me, you know, this is affecting my relationships, this is affecting my life, this is affecting my business. And so I promptly didn't do anything about it for months because everything was up in the air when I was in Arizona. And uh yeah, just through uh one of my students I I got uh, I got to meet up with a guy named Frank, uh really good guy. I told him in the first few sessions uh well, and I can thank my girlfriend for this. She she pointed out, I told her, yeah, I hired a personal trainer. And she was like, good, good, good for you. Because, you know, a lot of guys try to get that all under control when they're 44. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, God, if I let this go for just a couple more years, I can't imagine how frustrated I would be. Much less, and I was thinking, yeah, it's usually when I've been in the gym and there's a guy with a personal trainer who's just dying and sweating all over the machines and looking like he's about to pass out. uh the guy's usually in his forties, and it looks like he's not doing so hot. And I had a r- real scare last year with my health, where I just ballooned in weight, and uh, I think a lot of things came out of that. And I, I went in. I said the first day, I don't, It would be nice to build muscle. It'd be nice to lose belly fat. But I'm here to be healthy. I'm here just to feel better, and most of our workouts have been working out my back muscles, and I didn't realize how messed up my back was until we started doing that, and it got me thinking, Barry, I've been sitting more than sleeping for the last 12 years. I've spent more time sitting than sleeping. That's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And you think about it, if you're just hunched just a little wrong, a little incorrectly, multiply that by nine, ten hours a day most of your life, this is pretty bad. This is going to stack up. So the first few weeks, honestly, were really painful. And I wasn't really into it and my body was rebelling against it. But just the last week or two I've I can finally do three four lessons a day again that was something I was doing years ago and just over the past year or two I've only been able to do uh, about two a day was where I was most comfortable it might not sound like it in this podcast, but I have had a burst of energy uh, <laughs> recently. I, I, it just occurred to me, oh, this is super ironic, because I, I literally just got back from one of the sessions, and I'm feeling really mellow but also, right um, now.
1: Also, unfairly, oh, I can hear myself back, Alex. Yeah, again, uh, subtle hints, uh, Barry. Yeah, subtle <laughs> hands. No, unfairly, um, I recorded the episode with Alan Boston that I spoke about on the last show, Before Alex, and I was 20 minutes late for Alex for a change. So, Alex has also finished his session and then had to sit for 20 minutes on Skype until I said, All right, that's sorry, Alex, you know, whatever. So, that's the circumstances as well, Alex, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's my my fault. Uh, Should be, but. It seems like you guys are really uh, into me screaming at you, so I'm really glad about that. So if you want me to keep that up, I'll keep it up. But just just letting you know, if you send in a letter now and it irritates me and I'm going to tell you how it is, uh, don't, don't write me about hurt feelings because this is what you guys want. And if you hire me for a personal lesson, I don't talk like this. I'm not going to sit there and undress you and talk about how stupid you are if we're talking one-on-one. But if we're working on a first-name basis and you have a name like Ben and nobody's going to know where you are, I'm going to tell you guys how it is now on this show. And I'm, I'm really done sugarcoating things. I'm really... Well, and it's mostly, I want you to know, there's a Russian phrase that sh- says, show me what you hate and I'll show you who you are. And I really do get angered by these things because it's what held me back for so long. For years, I've thought of getting a personal trainer. I've never committed to it, have never done it. Uh, first two weeks were just torture. Now I'm happier than I've been in a long time. I'm handling stress really well. Or even... if. Year, you know, months ago, uh, I was well. Let me back up. For years, I thought I should actually do a class. I should go in and do an intense class because I just can't put myself through interval training unless somebody is there yelling at me. If it's just me in the gym, I'm gonna be okay. I, time to walk to Seven Eleven and get a maple bar and an iced coffee. I'm sick of this, right? But if there's somebody yelling at me, I'll do it. And I've been thinking about doing that for years and years and years. And just the last couple months, I've done it. And my whole life has changed. And I see simple fixes like that in poker for you guys. And many of you just don't want to do it. You said you want to be good at poker. What what you really want to do is play poker. Like, I like to play baseball. I... Have gone with my friends down to a park and just hit balls, uh, and it's really fun once in a while. Just cranking one out, and then having to find it in, in the foliage. But there's not Would I tell myself. I want to make money as a baseball player. No, I wouldn't say that because then if I was going to do that well, I'd have to. I'd have to. Well, it, that that ship has sailed at my age. But let's say I was a little younger. I'd have to get a personal coach. I'd have to start doing batting practice six times a week. Uh, I'd have to be trying to improve my time when it comes to running. I you know, just there would be a number of things that get there. And we understand this in different sports. There's a big difference between throwing the pig skin out on the lawn during Thanksgiving and actually trying to go out for a college squad. But the line is blurred in poker because if you have the money, you can play with the best in the world at the World Series. But that does not mean you have any business there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does, And the great thing about poker is you could beat them on any given day. It doesn't mean it's going to keep happening. So I'm just going to tell you guys how it is now. And we're not going to sugarcoat anything. We're going to get right in your face and tell you how it is, and you can decide if you want to make that change from now on.
1: Okay, on that note, okay, let's uh, go into okay. the brave people who have sent in questions. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, lambs to the slaughter. Um, okay, first, first one is James. Good luck, James. Um, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, question one. I have a question that I'm hoping you guys can fit in on it on a show soon. When tables break in tournaments, or I move to a new tournament table with totally new faces in live tournaments, more specifically, but I guess also in online MTTs, what should I do for the first few rotations? Also, at different stages of tournaments, etc. After playing the same table and players for so long, then getting moved, any tips? Listen here, asshole.
2: No, just <laughs> kidding. Uh, Uh, sorry forgive my language everybody it was just too easy Uh, and by the way i'm only going to berate you guys if you ask me the same question for the ninth time in 40 episodes we had a few of those in the last two which is why i lost my mind because i think i even yelled at barry at one point how many times have i brought up card runners ev how many and we're not going to do that today now The first four orbits, this is actually a pretty good uh, question, James, because this has come up quite a bit in my personal lessons, which is the first few orbits you play, you should have a bias towards not playing big pots. What that means is when you're betting post-flop, if someone raises you, just generally assume they have it. 95% of the time they do when I've looked into it. I asked a, a student of mine the other day, Told me I tried an experiment, Alex, and I said, "What'd you do?" And He said, "Every time somebody check raised me, I I played back at that. I called or I three bet or something." I said, "Well, what? How'd that go?" And he said, "Every single time I was opening up a new tournament, it just yeah. every every single time they had it." And I actually, uh, by the way, the great thing about experimentation is it gives you the right to fail. Uh, many people grade themselves down when they fail when if you want to really get something right the first time you should try to get it wrong this is why i have such ire for people who want to talk poorly about other players some of the best lines i've ever gotten were from quote unquote poor players because they're not afraid to get it wrong and then you have to analyze why was it wrong and sometimes while you're doing that you realize this isn't wrong at all this guy was the only guy who had the balls to try it. So I would generally say when you're playing, go another. Uh, something that happens a lot is the first 50 hands, everybody does a feeling out process. And then the next 50 hands, everybody says they're bored and they start opening three, two of diamonds under the gun. And nobody blinks an eye now. And I don't get it at all. But in the first 50 hands, I'm super active, and the, uh, you know, the second 50 hands, I'm, not, I'm being very careful because that's when everybody decides to come out and play, and I usually have some chips I can cushion myself on at that point, but a lot of the things I'm doing are just really quick counter punches. Somebody opens too much. How do I know somebody opens too much in the first few orbits? Well, it's generally a young guy, and he's generally opening from middle to late position. Young guys tend to treat middle position like it's late position, and they treat early position like it's middle position. I can make that assumption. I'll be right 90% of the time, and I don't have to test it for many chips as long as I'm not calling check raises and big bets post-flop. And most of these guys will let you keep it in your wheelhouse if you three bet them, if you take them heads up. We're always trying to exercise position. This is one of my models I use in private coaching, which is position, bigger pot, superior hands, heads up. That's the pre-flop model. As you can imagine, it's much more simple than the post-flop map model, which I have buffed out to 20 steps at certain points, but we're not going to get into that today. The big thing you have to know for post-flop in these spots is generally when people raise you, they have 2 pair or greater. That is especially true early on when the stacks are super deep. Barry, I'd like you to tell me the last time you check raised a draw 200 big blinds deep in a poker tournament. Pray tell. Check raised a draw. Yeah, check check raised a draw. Or one pair. Or anything
1: other than two pair or greater. Uh, Not flush draw, probably, or pair in a flush draw.
2: With 200 big blinds at the beginning of the tournament? Check raised it. Check Um, Check raised it? Yeah, yeah, probably. Okay. Okay. Okay, do you think everybody shares this play? No. Yeah? When was the last time you saw a guy check raise like a turn draw or turn to turn to pair into a bluff on the turn? When was the last time you saw that? No, no, I can't, can't think. One of the best times in the tournament to make your bones is at the beginning. At the beginning, everybody's feeling out, but they'll still open whatever they like. But I... I execute most of my triple barrels at the very first three levels of a tournament. And yeah, I don't know the guy too well, but what you're trying to work with is generalities in the field. So there was a guy in uh, the WPT, which I was blessed enough to final table. I never know how to slip in. I final tabled something tactfully. But anywho, the guy opened... Okay, he's an online qualifier. He opens from early position. I don't take that seriously ever anymore. Uh, just because everybody opens wide from early position. I'm actually really proud when I find a student that doesn't open wide from early position. It's starting to change a bit, but not that much. This guy didn't even open from early position. I want to say under the gun plus two. It was an eight-handed table. I looked down at 7'5 suited. 7-5 uh, of hearts, I 3 deck came around to him, he called, and they always give you something on the call. When they just slap the chips in, disdainfully, 1.4 seconds in, is that ever aces? No. No, but, no, but people, it's actually a really good, I do do that with aces because I'm just an observer of human behavior and trying to imitate it, not just in poker and in life, I'm a Martian, I'm not from here, but they come. The board comes: nine of spades, eight of spades, four of diamonds. I have five seven of hearts. Right, so I have the gut, gutter. He checks. I bet. He calls really quickly. Barry, what does he have? Everybody at home, what does he have? Say it out loud in the car. Scare your kid. What's the, hopefully
1: what's
2: your wife? What's the board? the board? Nine of spades, eight of spades, four of diamonds. I have five seven of hearts. He checks, I bet, pot, He calls very quickly. Uh, maybe, uh, an eight. maybe an
1: 8.
2: Yeah, maybe an 8. What's the best hand he has? That's a great question. Uh, what, Jack Tanner Speeds, is it?
1: <laughs> uh, okay.
2: Yeah, maybe he's going to slow play that. Does he, maybe a better question is what, what does he not have, Barry? Set. Yeah, he doesn't have a set. What else does he not have? Overpill. Yeah, Barry, you're about to become my whipping boy on every single one of these (laughs) podcasts now, okay? I did one with Dennis Peterson. I recorded a lesson that I'm going to publish in a few days. Uh, But just so you know, if I talk to you guys like that, it's because I trust you. And it's because Barry's starting to play poker now. He's not just a poker host, so we're going to test him. So So he calls, and the turn comes... Let's see, let's see if we can figure this out. Let me see if I can remember. Turn comes two of spades. He checks to me. What do we do? Mm, bet again. Bet. Why? Because he- Don't just let Barry answer at home, guys. Think about it. Or pause.
1: Well, the way I've been playing recently in certain spots is like everybody calls every continuation bet ever now, mm-hmm. so I usually mm-hmm. just fire the (laughs)
2: turn and normally people fold (laughs) real technical that's why i like to bury your technical cat let me ask you a question he has a flush here 10 20 30 40 or 50 percent of the time Mm, Thirty. it's funny it's funny you've never thought of this isn't this funny yeah. It, isn't this funny, everybody? How many times have you been in that spot? Have you ever gone to Flopzilla and seen what he has? Have you ever? Barry, have you ever done that? No. no. Okay, good. Hey, I appreciate the honesty. I get I get some American kids that will hem and haw for two minutes. I, which I, is I used to play around with uh, Poker Stove.
1: It was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Poker.
2: Good. I love how Poker Stove counts things multiple times. But, yeah, Poker Stove was nice. You know, back in the Stone Age, Barry, when you were playing. Yeah, now, that's,
1: that's what I mean. So, yeah. <laughs> the
2: bl- the guy has a flush there 10 to 20% of the time, which means how often does he not have a flush, Barry?
1: 80%.
2: 80% of the time. He calls you really quickly. What does that mean?
1: Um, he's not got a flush throw.
2: Why? Because he probably... This is a, I don't know. Good, sorry.
1: He, he, might, he might raise the flop with a flush throw.
2: Oh, eh, that's a good one. What do you, what do you tend to do when you turn a flush there and somebody bets into you? Check. You check. Okay, you check. He bet. I bet. What do you do? Oh, I uh, raise. Yeah, raise. So when a guy calls you really quickly, what does that say? He's not got a flush. Uh, usually not. Usually, I I'm actually. If you watch the high stakes guys, they do this really clever thing where they they'll like throw in the call really quickly, then they'll look for the river card and they already have the flush. Mm-hmm. I have seen maybe one recreational player do that and I I swear I almost just like clapped him on the back and I said, You deserve these traps. like well done. Like that was so well done. Mm-hmm. And uh anyway, so the guy calls really quickly. Uh River is say say eight of hearts. I totally forget what it was, by the way. To pair the board. Che- yeah, pairs the board. He checks. What do you do? I don't know there. Let me put it in another context. This guy is flown to the tournament, driven to the tournament for two hours. He was looking forward to a full day of poker. He's an hour and 45 minutes into the day. What do you think he's going to do when you jam?
1: Well, if, obviously, if he doesn't have anything close to the nut's fold.
2: Yeah, usually. And sometimes they will even fold an 8 there because the flush came in. Wow. And, uh, I don't know what games they are. <laughs> there are. There, well, I'm, okay, I'm thinking of a WBC, <laughs> but okay. I threw out a BS River card just to see if you'd still jam it. The 8 makes less combinations uh that well okay the eight the eight's kind of a crappy car let's say the two pairs right mm-hmm. on the on the river just a complete blank mm-hmm. then the guy checks to you you should jam because 90% of the time the guy has a 9 or an 8 and how often you should jam communi- given the combinatorics if the river pairs an eight as well but I wouldn't uh I wouldn't be as thrilled about it because that does just add a few more combos that, like you just said, Barry, rightfully, uh, they could call with. But the
1: if,
2: he, if it's one pair and that's what he's going to have most of the time, do you think he's going to call? No. Did you need to know anything about the guy, this entire analysis, other than he's like a 33-year-old male? Something you could have seen in the first 15 seconds. No. It's possible he's a knit. You could actually make a lot of money as a knit. You, you can make decent money as a knit, but nobody's a knit. And this is something I'm really big about field analysis these days when it comes to these tournaments, because if you understand the field very intimately – That's going to be most of the time you're playing cards. People say, I want about 50 hands to get to know a guy. And and I always go, well, you can't play tournament poker then. Because most of the time in 50 hands, you're at another table. It is the original Zoom poker. This is the other thing I like about tournament poker. There's no balancing. Once in a while, okay, let's say I have that 7-5 of hearts. Like if I was playing cash, I do have to check that back a certain percentage of the time. I also can't 3-bet that 7-5 suited 80% Eighty percent of the time, hundred percent of the time, sixty percent of the time, it has to be like fifteen or twenty percent of the time. Otherwise, I become wholly unbalanced. Most tournament players just do this. I'm going to wait a few hands. I'm going to wait for a better spot. Dear God, if I had another, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard that, I'm going to wait for a better spot. No, you want to tell yourself you're a poker player. You want to tell yourself you're a poker player. Piddle into day two. Call your wife and tell her you made day two and go out in the second level of day two. Everybody's listening to me right now. Tell me how often you do that. How did I know that? It's Because a lot of you guys are fans. When was the last time you blew out of a tournament in the first three levels trying to value that top pair? Just triple barreling top pair. A triple barreling top pair. I think the things you want to look for when you show up at a table, uh, younger guys tend to open too much, three bet them more. Uh, Everybody opens later position way too much. If you're in the big blind, those are small raises, call and check, raise them a ton. Uh, Things like that. Uh, As far as just looking, uh, I think that will get you pretty far. And Always be, I see a lot of this, if you want to be good at live poker, get off your cell phone. I, can, I cannot believe people have the nerve to tell me how tough poker is, and they play words with friends on their iPad in front of me. <laughs> they, there's 15 ands, and the guy tables, he opened 6'3 suited from the hijack. You didn't even see. You didn't, you, you didn't see the action the entire ad. You didn't see if he semi-bluffed. You didn't see if he check-called with a pair on the turn. You didn't see any of it. You weren't paying attention. How are you going to put $1,500 down and not pay attention? Could you imagine doing that in any other sport? Could you imagine putting down $200 to play in a tennis tournament and not checking out the players you're going to play against next? Could you ever see anybody doing that at a tennis tournament? But we do that every day. Every Everybody's on their cell phone, and they want social proof. Uh, when they holler out to their buddies three tables away, when you could just damn well walk over there. I'm done with you, James. Thank you. Okay. Uh, next, We're going to change this show to Disgusted with Everything <laughs> uh, by Alex Fitzgerald.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, um. Yeah, and annoy Alex. That's what we'll call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I
2: was drinking coffee and it almost went everywhere. <laughs>
1: um, uh. Okay, this is, next question is from Mark. Question two, and it is Alex has. Sorry, that was I really got the tone wrong there. Um, Alex has spoke about four betting on most recent episode. But I struggle to know what hands should we be forbetting as bluffs or non-premium hands that we can forbet. Also, could Alex give some advice on what sort of stacks I should and shouldn't be forbetting or 4-bet bluffing from? I'm a complete novice and don't really forebet without a hand, so I'll stay anonymous, please. Oh, sorry, Mark. Shit.
0: <laughs> I, I didn't say second name,
1: so it's good. <laughs> That's quite funny.
2: That's why you make the big bucks, yeah. Barry. Mark though, Mark could just be his question mark. That's who it is. Yeah, it, uh, Mark. Mark could be damn near anybody. Yeah. It's a uh, well. <laughs> I like how people keep me anonymous. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to walk by you right, and punch you. But
1: his surname is there. I did well not to subconsciously. I must have knew someone Yeah, you know.
2: that was that was good. You got away with it there. Um. So the thing about 4-betting is usually people used to always tell me, oh, I I tanked for two minutes and then I did this sick 5-bet bluff and showed him a deuce. And all I could hear in my head was, ass clown. That's all I I could ever hear. Because if you're 3-betting a guy, you should 3-bet a guy when you know damn well he's going to fold. So because you 5-bet... It shows you didn't really have control over the situation. If you 3-bet to induce a wide 4-bet so you could 5-bet, I actually think that plays pretty sexy. But most of you guys are not doing that. So generally, you want to be inducing the 4-bet, I mean inducing the 3-bet, as opposed to just being lost. A good rule is if you're lost, you probably should look at your open You probably should look at your open sizing. There's many times I will augment my sizing, not because it gives a terrific advantage, but because people play very directly to it, uh, to the 3-bet. If you open a 3.2x, I don't know why this is, but people will not 3-bet ace-jack offsuit. They just will not do it. And that means when they 3-bet it's ace-queen, ace-king, eights, nines, tens, jacks, queens, kings, aces, and since I've opened my card runner ZV since that episode, and have done it before then, I know what I should be jamming into that, which is almost nothing. What I'm trying to do, the four bet is the escape hatch. The four bet needs to be in your arsenal. It it's like, it's like NFL football. You need to have a running play to hide your passing play. Your real attack is the big blind. The big blind calls every hand for 3x, 3.5x, 4x these days. This is where my money is coming from. This is my money. It's from everybody because when people show up at the at when people show up at a card room, they go to play poker. They are not there to fold. So if you give them a socially acceptable play, way, they can play poker. They will do it. So and the only and because you guys. Because so many of you have berated these people to death so they never want to stick their chips in. The only way I get paid now is from the big blind. Because you guys somehow convinced everybody you can flat 9-3 offsuit for a 3.5x open out of the big blind. You never bat an eye at that, which you should never bat an eye at anything, but that's where the money is. The 4-bet needs to be in your arsenal just in case, and you usually should be setting it up. I open to two 2.5x when there's regen stacks, when I think that's how the big blind's going to call, if the big blind's a more disciplined player, and I do it to induce three bets so I can four bet over. The hands I four bet with are hands that don't play that well post-flop. Sevens, eights, nines, tens all play very well as a four bet. Something that's very interesting that you could set up, find, go play heads-up sit-and-go, put the hand history into your card runner ZV, and just see how wide you can jam with 50 big blinds. You will be astonished at, if a guy three-bets you with 20% of the hands, what you can four-bet. Sometimes even just a suited king will do, depending on what you have the guy calling with. But you want that play to be in your back pocket. You want, it's like a good nuclear strategy. You're Willingness to use it means you won't have to use it. It does have to come out once in a while. If you're 4-bet bluffing, I would almost exclusively say stick to the ace highs because most people's 5-betting range, if you look at it, is about ace-queen suited plus, ace-king offsuit plus, tens plus. You want to take the biggest buy down to that range, take an ace out. So I will 4-bet fold almost exclusively ace highs. If I'm opening to 2 to 2.5x to induce the 3-bet, I'm either doing that with suited connectors that I can call with profitably out of position just to establish that I can do that play, although I do not favor that play not even close to as much as most people do. And I also 4-bet there with a lot of big cards, like King-Queen, King-Jack will have a ton of equity versus a 14% 3-bet. Uh, is If you know the guy is 3-betting suited gappers and you're 30, 40 big blinds deep, pretty much any two Broadway cards will do. Any suited ace will do. Any pocket pair, fives plus, will do. My ranges are actually kind of tight. There's guys, I'm sure you've seen them on the European Poker Tour, especially the Germans, who take this a little further. I personally am not a big fan of that. I think you're really pushing small big blind edges with some of these guys, the way they push it. But they, I respect that they have a different way of looking at poker, which is you have to execute constantly, which I agree with. But when everybody is calling me from the big blind and just handing me their chips and has no idea how to compute a river bet, while I've done so many analyses when it comes to river bets and triple barrels, I'm taking you to the river and I'm drowning you. I'm not going to make it easy with pre-flop poker. Pre-flop poker is what most of these guys want you to do. Because if we get it all in, I have to win a flip just like you and I'm not giving it to you that easy. Good luck to you. Nice. Okay. And next question
1: is from who is it? Yanis, how do you play ace no kicker hands? For example, someone raises, there is one caller, and we have ace jack in the big blind, or ace 10. We flat call, and the flop comes ace 5 9. How do we play this hand here when we are 50 big blinds deep?
2: Excellent question, Yanis. So something that, well, I have a rule, I have a bunch of slides that I use now during my lessons because I'm noticing with my personal trainer, he does the same thing over and over again. Eventually, I can't forget it because it's so annoying to hear the phrase again. It's so annoying to get poked in my core and to be shown that it's actually hanging there a little weak, right? and then I was thinking if I did this with my students if I opt how annoying I was they could really memorize a lot of these things so i have this slide that i just mash on constantly by the way i so wish i could talk like this in my lessons i so wish i could do it. i would do 20 lessons a day if i could talk like this just scream at everybody but nope nope no nope. customer relations are not in this fashion and anyway Totally off topic there. We needed one. There needs to be one every episode. I have this slide I mash on. It says when the next street is very likely dot 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 dot, make a plan for that street. See the dogs are into this. they can hear it. And it's uh, you guys probably didn't even hear that, but make a plan for that street and put numbers to everything. What numbers do you think I look for, Barry? If I'm on the ace-5-9 board with ace-jack or ace-10, out of position. Uh, Continuation
1: bet. Who's continuation bet and what? What continuation bet? For just the flop? For flop and turn.
2: Yeah, exactly. How often do you check the turn bet there, Barry? What do you mean, check the turn bet? No, like how often do you look at a person's HUD and see what they do on turn river?
1: All oh, right, yeah. well when I'm using the HUD I do I look at that. That's you, Okay,
2: you good, that good. A it. lot of pe-
1: Yeah.
2: A lot of people don't do it. Uh a lot of people even worse with the assassinato odd, they have the numbers right up there and they don't look at it. No, well
1: one. for hands like that like this guy
2: saying, I mean, you want to know if he's going
1: to just shut down or if you're going to have to call two or three suits right. with an ace nine well not nine that pairs, it be like ace eight there or ace 10 or whatever, you know.
2: Right. A lot of this, a lot of this is combo counting as well. So it's okay. Let's say this is a multi-way pot. So let's say I have Ace-Jack. There's actually a difference between Ace-Jack and Ace-10. Ace-Jack, a lot of times I will lead in value bet three streets uh, because people call down with absurdly dumb hands when you donk lead. They should understand their Ace is not good by the river. And on Poker Stars, they will. Uh, on other sites, they won't, which is why I don't play on poker stars. So let's say the board comes ace-9-5. I'll donk lead there with ace-jack because everybody's a pot-controlling clown now because if you gambled a lot, you're probably out of the game, and if you are too tight, you're out of the game. So the only people are left are the guys that see flops and then go check, 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 oh, God, oh, God, keep this pot small. <laughs> and I just, I just like taking their money. Because if I lead out Ace-10, Ace-8, Ace-7, Ace-6, Ace-4, Ace-3, these hands, they, what was the board? Ace-9-5, Ace-2. All these hands are calling me for three streets. By the way, Barry, somebody leads out 40% pot into you there. When was the last time you raised with Ace-Queen? Ace-King. Um, exactly. If the, if the exactly. If the big blind leads out. If the big blind led out to you forty percent, when was the last time you raised Ace Ten? I, i uh, no, I, I would, I would raise there. Oh, good, good, okay. Pile Solver says you need to. Uh, I've watched more poker than anybody on earth. Nobody raises there. They should raise there. They don't raise there. I also, I wouldn't recommend this play if anybody had raised there with a superior Ace in the last four years. Nobody has done it since Obama's first term. That's the last time I've
1: played a lot of poker. So, yeah. <laughs> I, if I raised Ace the King there, there was a caller, the big blind calls. That flop
2: comes check. I, I would
1: raise there. I would.
2: Good, yeah. you should. Yeah. You should. But I get a lot of people... Well, I'll even have people call me for two streets with Jack-9 suited, 10-9 nine suited, 9-8 nine suited. You want to minimize your losses? Always put a number to the next streets. If you want to know when I mash on that slide the most it's when a guy calls in position that I go, okay, what's going on here? Tell me your thought process. Well, I'm going to call because I think he could lead a bunch of hands out. Incorrect answer, because anytime you have a hand that needs two checks in order to get to a showdown, I want you to tell me what percentage of the time it gets checked on turn and river. Everybody's answer there will be like, oh, you know, 15 20% of the time. And it's like, sweet. So you're calling here to fold 80% of the time on the Turner river. Does that seem smart? No, it doesn't. You want to find where the money's being lost. That's where it's usually being lost. Oh, a guy min check raised me. I'll call and reevaluate the turn. I love that phrase. I'll I'll do my thinking next street. That's, you know, that's in a year and four months. Okay. I can put that off. Next street comes out. Oh crap. He bet again. Well, of course he bet again. How many people check raise give up?
1: Mm.
2: How many people do it? They actually should do it more often. I'm always surprised. I hear this crap in all of my lessons. Well, if we check-raise on this flop, we're going to have to follow through on the turn. That makes no theoretical sense. You check-raise the flop because he's betting everything and he calls only with pairs. Good pairs. Why would you bet the turn if he only has the top of his range? Now your check-raise makes no sense. But 90% of the poker population believes that first sentence because it was on 2 plus 2. Because Durr said it in 2008 in one analysis on Poker After Dark. They believe it. I love you. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm thinking. No, I, I,
1: it was good. I like it. You're motivated. And there was a silence. I thought it'd be funny.
2: Yeah. Uh, it was a pregnant pause, though, yeah. though Barry. Yeah. And you're probably the one who impregnated me with what you just (laughs) said. So, hold on a second. So, here's the thing. The Donkley doesn't get executed there much at all. Another interesting thing is, why do you have to flat their preflop? In the old days, you couldn't three bet that hand because ace-nine suited down to ace-deuce suited was folding. Also, king-ten, queen-ten, jack-ten, ten-nine, whatever your dominating card is, king Jack-Queen-Jack, Jack-10, Jack-9 was not calling. I 3-bet there to get it heads-up. I'm not going to get a 4-pointer on my PBSH scale, right? I have forfeited position. Forfeiting position is not that big of a deal if I plan to triple barrel that much, though. So if I hit that board, I am triple barreling because people go broke now when they hit top pair. They go broke. If they were in the habit of calling flop, calling turn, folding river, they would have been cleaned out by now. So what they do is they hem and haw and they call on the river, they catch a few bluffs, it makes them feel good, then they move on, right? When they get cleaned out, whatever, they boot up another tournament, they kid themselves they actually make money at poker because people are curious, they didn't show up to fold. So take them to Town. When was the last time you three bet and got three streets of value from top pair. When was the last time? If you can't figure out how to get value from the most common strong hand in poker, how do you think you're going to do this for money? How is that going to happen? Tell me how that's going to happen. I heard Miss misval- about I hear fear-based thinking here. What do I do if he double barrels? Well, if his turn double barrel is 22%, you fold. If it's 40%, You're going to have to make a judgment call. But I'm asking, why do we have to make a judgment call? If the guy's opening 25% of the hands and his fold to 3-bet is 30%, which it always is now because God forbid you fold to a 3-bet that would just be so yesterday, the guy is going to get cleaned out. He doesn't flap... There and flop a pair, especially if you structure. And the thing I was trying to say is if you bet 40% there before Barry derailed me, you can structure your bets in a way where you don't have to go pot, pot, pot. If you bet 40% there, nobody's raising you there with top pair. They should raise 20-something percent of the time. According to the solvers, it's closer to zero. So you can go 40, 40, 40, and a lot of times you'll get 9-7 suited to call down three times there. I'm thinking about value. I'm thinking about getting the money. You're thinking about staying in the tournament. You're thinking about making day two and getting two levels in and calling your wife and going, at least I made day two, honey. <laughs> Good luck to you. Oh, he cracked, he cracked my king's. He cracked my king.
1: (laughs) Okay, uh, we got time for one last question. Mm Mm-hmm. This one is from Peter. My question is simply on playing the small blind in situations where we cover the big blind stack. Say they are playing a 15 to 20 big blind stack and we have, say, 30 to 40 big blinds. What are the dynamics? I sometimes open and the guy just shoves and I have to fold. Um, So I tighten up and only raise with hands, I'm willing to call off his stack. Is there situations, or am I better just long run, just shoving all in and when I cover the big blind in these spots? Thank you.
2: I have a headache from this question. Hold on a second. This
1: is...
2: (laughs) Can you hear me? Yeah. No, actually, we haven't talked a lot about this on the show, so this isn't going to be. Because one of my first articles that people got really mad at, which is really funny because it's wildly basic now, was uh, it was called The Simple Adjustment on WPT Magazine. It was about, this is what started my poker journey. In 2009, I was playing on the EPT tour, and I realized tournament earnings were just not consistent enough uh, to pay my bills. So I started playing cash. So I went on iPoker and I got my lunch money taken, which I wasn't too happy with. And then I went on cake. Uh, Back then there was a bunch of just Russian gamblers there. And yeah, I was just, I, I was cleaning up, but not making a ton of money. I was cleaning up because I could work more hours than anybody. To this day, I, you, I would not consider myself a very, I don't have good self-esteem. Let's say that. There's one thing you will never, ever challenge me on, and it's my work ethic. I can work harder than anyone I know. I'm trying to think of somebody who can work harder than me, and I can only think of like one or two. And those are my mentors. Now, I was working a lot, but my win rate wasn't where it wanted to be. And I tried everything I could think of to get it, I was just trying, I I watched Deuces Cracked at that time, unconventional wisdom, and I was trying to apply all these fancy plays, they didn't do crap for me, and then one day, I looked at, well, if you raise from the small blind, how often does that need to work? So I said, well, if you raise 3x divided by, wait a minute, I'm doing something wrong, well, it's because the small blind's already dead, you don't count that, so if you raise 2.5x to win 2.5x, which is most common in tournaments, right? Because you raise to 3x, it's effectively 2.5x. By the way, if you raise to 2.5x, you've effectively raised to 2x out of position. If you raise to 3x, which is effectively 2.5x, the bet needs to work 50% of the time, which means uh, your opponent needs to play 50% of the hands. If he plays 40% of the hands, he folds 60% of the time. You make money with any two cards. And I essentially... This is what started my journey is I looked at a database and I realized collectively everybody on this site was folding like 37% of the time. And the four people who didn't were really easy to outline. And I just made sure I was in the small blind every time versus that big blind. Every time it folded around to me, I didn't look at my cards. I just opened. And uh, I re- I wrote an article about that. Everybody, it was like my first discovery on I was on Discovery 240-something at that point. That was when mathematics really opened up to me in poker, and I realized with rigorous study, you could become somebody in this game. You did not need any... What did they call it in French? Denis Sequa. quoi? You didn't need something special. You needed hard work. It's like Bitcoin. You're just trying to unravel new co- combinations. And that one was one of the most basic ones. And yet, to this day, people don't... Actually, I should be really grateful about this because we've talked about the math on this one-outer podcast, and I would hope you guys would try to figure out why you're doing the things you do. You, are, you always hear me say the same thing. Do you think the Bellagio fountains were built because they did not know the odds on every single bet they offered? This is one of the simplest bets you can offer. And if the guy is not defending enough, based on the mathematics we said, you raise any two cards. If you would like to blend in the hands that you're going to call with, that is good as well. If the guy, if the guy's full big blind to small blind steal or full big blind to steal, if you don't have those numbers, is actually larger than that, then you can try a limping strategy, although that's a super overrated strategy unless you're ape styles. I, I've looked at databases where I looked at a stable where everybody used the limping strategy from the small blind. I was not impressed by the results. I think that is a new thing that is in vogue. I don't think most people apply that well. You can limp in or you can just fold. Uh, You should get your jam charts done. And I want you to remember, if you look on a jam chart and it says, like, you're good for 0.7 big blinds, just always take it. 0.5 big blinds, always take it. That's way better than you're ever going to get with these stack sizes. Actually, if it's 0.25, I usually just take it. I'm grinding my ass off, grinding my ass off at big stacks, playing with playing with open sizes, playing with hand range openings, playing with uh, the different players. How to target the big blind specifically? How to dissuade the button successfully? And the most I will get is 1.5 big blind per hand over the entire distribution of my opening range. And there's many times you guys with a jam will get 1.1 big blinds, and you don't want to do it because Ace Jack lost for you the other time. This is a very much riding the current style thing. Uh, I raised a bunch, and then they were jamming to me a bunch, so then I was just raising with my good hands. These people don't know who you are. They're not adjusting. You're the one who keeps adjusting to a player that's not adjusting. They're a constant force. Something, if they execute a fixed strategy, and there is always a fixed strategy across the database, there is a counter strategy. You guys want to know why I killed myself and played so many turns at the beginning of this year? It's because I wrote a counter-strategy playbook to the game today. Most of it is still very relevant. That is all I use in my lessons and it's going to be in the Myth and Poker Talent too. That is all that content. I create counter-strategies. Your counter-strategy here, this, enjoy it. This is fun. This is fun. You can also figure this out with Card EV This is one of the most basic ones. Pick up I want you to pick up uh, Card Runner's EV or, yeah, pick up Card Runner's EV. You can just put in one time you raise and the other guy jam. This will be the simplest tree you've ever had. It's, it's literally like three inputs. And you just play with the ranges and play with what the guy does until you find a profit. And if you do believe they're jamming or folding, this one's really easy to program. And then if you're just turning a profit with any two cards, execute. Keep moving forward. Good luck to you. I, I feel like there's more to say on that subject. It, get your jam charts down. There's If you're playing online, there's no rule that says you can't have them next to you. Uh, look at their... Uh, what was it? Uh, Hold'em resources will tell you average... Pro, pro, I'm old-fashioned. Runners EV is what I end up using most of the time. Uh, look at the 3x raises. Uh, the 3x raises are still... You can just take a sledgehammer, small blind to big blind. Like, try this try this one of these days. Raise to 3x and just see that 1.2x pot on every single pot, on every single flop. Tell me what happens. Because if they're going to call you with 35% of the hands pre-flop, and then they're going to fold third pair on the flop, they're folding 70-something percent of the time. This is... A very If you want to get it right, first get it wrong. This was a strategy I saw a recreational player use, and I, I told myself, get it wrong first. Mm-hmm. Prove why this is a wrong strategy. I did the math. It isn't wrong. It shows a profit. You know what's really wrong is betting half pot and then net not betting the turn. Because I'll tell you what, blind versus blind, ace high, king high is never folding the half pot. You must fire the turn. Almost always, depending uh, Almost always, unless the turn's an ace, then you should probably triple barrel because most of the time they have one of the pairs and then they're going to fold them by the river. You can rep the ace. Mm -hmm. But, okay, scratch that. That's a really complex one that takes some finesse. Don't do that, okay? But if there's not an ace on the turn, fire, because they're folding their high cards. What percentage of a range, Barry, if a guy's calling let's say 30% of his hands pre-flop, and you see that the flop, and he's just calling you with ace highs on like a queen 2-7 board. What what percentage of his uh, calling range is ace highs, Barry? Um, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60%. J- just take a guess. I don't know. Maybe maybe 50-50? Oh. There you go. It's pretty close. It's about 40. 40-50, yeah. it depends. A lot of... It. Uh, is it, it, that bottom card is a big deal. If the guy can call you a third pair, that brings it down a bit. And it depends on if the guy's one of these weirdos now that just likes to flat jacks or likes to flat nines. Uh, but if they three bet a lot of those, a lot of times I see a guy C-bet on that board, and I'm like, okay, you better double barrel. And the guy checks on the turn, and blood shoots out my nose. Because you you just donated. You played this big pot out of position, and you gave the game to him. That, that typically is not how you're going to make your money. Good luck to you. Okay. Alex,
1: you picked up from your initial slump in this episode of energy, and you knocked, up, <laughs> you knocked out of the park again, so we thank you for that. Um, I feel motivated and want to go and play poker, but Scotland are playing in an international World Cup qualifier tonight, so I'm going to go and watch that. That kicks off in 20 minutes, I think. So, uh, they need to win tonight, and then they need to win away in Slovenia on Saturday. So, there's a chance, but we'll see. We'll see. Didn't they get in a few? They might. They might. Like, well, that gets them into the playoff. It's Scotland. It's, that's not qualification. That gives them the right to a playoff game that they'll need to win that then gets them into the World Cup. So Didn't
2: they get into the World Cup like four or
1: eight years ago or something? No. Uh, Scotland haven't qualified for a major tournament since France 98, so 19 years now. Wow, I thought
2: for some reason there was some goofy country from the United Kingdom Wales. that got in. W- Wales, were huh? in the, Wales were in the Euros. They did well. That's right, the, that, yeah. that
1: was it. Yeah. yeah, and I was
2: like, what? Yeah. And yeah it, anyway, alright man, Yeah, I guess we should wrap this yeah. up. Okay, how can people get in touch with you for further weapons? If you would like to learn how to actually beat this game, uh, write me at alex at pokerheadrush.com Uh, You can request how American football coach you would like me during the lesson uh, on a scale of one to 10. I do not talk like this in lessons. This is, I had no idea you guys would like this so much. I literally just got pissed off three lessons ago and lost it. And then we got a bunch of emails about how much you guys liked it. This is, this is stagecraft. This is for fun. And, uh, but in the lessons, it's much more congenial. It's us working. Unless you want, you know. Unless you want somebody screaming at you, I can do that too. Yeah, that's a uh, premium rate number. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, yeah. Write me at alex@pokerheadrush.com. Uh, my blog is pokerheadrush.com. You can sign up for my newsletter at pokerheadrush.com, and that newsletter you get you get free stuff three to five times a week. Uh, you get free. I got a free video coming out in a few days. It's just you getting to sit in on one of my lessons. If you've ever wanted to see what one of my lessons looks like as far as a hand history review, uh, there's, that's going to be out. There's free articles that come out every week. Uh, I write little notes to you guys about things that I'm noticing. Uh, it's fun. It's good fun. I'd really recommend you sign up for that. And if you ever wanted to get any of my webinars for cheaper, uh, any of my recorded lessons, we have a library now of 100-plus hours, Barry. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. 100-plus hours. And all of them are like PowerPoints with uh, just different tools being used and hand history analysis with quizzes. Uh, If you want to get any of them for cheap, there's a sale for a few more days. Like I want to say one more week. Uh, go ahead and write me at alex at i dot com. They'll send you over the rates on that. Okay, and keep your
1: questions coming in for our next show. Questions at outer dot com. And if you do want to remain anonymous, then just put anonymous in big, huge capital letters at the start of the email, <laughs> and uh, I'll I'll do well. Or better still, change your settings so your surname doesn't come up, so it's no bother at all. Uh, sorry, Mark. Question mark. Um, Okay, um, thanks for listening. Alex, thanks for spending time with us again this week. Keep your questions coming in. Until next week, cheers.
0: Tournament Poker
2: Edge forever!
0: The OSS Cubed is back with over $14 million in guaranteed prize pools from September 24th to October 22nd. This massive tournament series features three $1 million guaranteed tournaments. The first takes place on October 15th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, featuring a half-price buy-in of just $265. Just one week later, on October 22nd, we'll have two million-dollar tourneys the same day. One with a $540 buy-in and the Boss Main Event with a $2,100 buy-in. AmericasCardRoom.com